Well, we're now back on track for our study in the book of Mark. Don't you love when God shows up? Praise the Lord. Well, we ended a couple of weeks ago with Peter walking on the water, Jesus calming the storm. Jesus makes it to the other side of the lake, and people are already there waiting to receive blessings and miracles from Jesus. And what did he do for them? He healed them. He met their need. So now we come to chapter 7. Verse 1 says, One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to confront Jesus. Now we mentioned earlier in the series that Jesus says things are going to start getting a little bit harder for them now. He didn't want the word to get out because he knew this was going to happen, but word's getting out, so now things are going to get a little bit more tense for them. And the guys were now actively following him to find ways to accuse him. And I, I wrote down, these guys would be your modern-day fact-checkers, looking for anything they could accuse him of doing against their traditions and therefore against God. Now, if Jesus were on social media, they would have canceled him a long time ago, canceled his account, blanked out everything he said. It'd be a blur there, and the word fact-check would be below everything he said. Jesus was already on their, their hit list because, if you remember way back when, he broke their Sabbath tradition. So they now were upset and they were out to get him. Going back to Mark chapter 2, it says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through the grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of wheat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, shouldn't, they shouldn't be doing that. It's against the law to work by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. So strike one on Jesus. Now, they're getting upset, and now they're going to start following him and looking for anything to go after him for. So verse 2 says, back in chapter 7, they notice that some of Jesus' disciples failed to follow the usual Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Now, this hand-washing had nothing to do with being clean, dirt-free, germ-free, nor was it ever a part of God's law. If you remember, we said... The shaking off of the dust a couple chapters ago, when you leave the Gentile area, you're supposed to shake the dust off and keep walking. That was their way of saying, uh, we're leaving the, the polluted area. We're shaking off the Gentile dust. And now we're going back into the Holy Land, Jerusalem. Well, that was their way of saying that, you know, I'm leaving the dirt behind and coming into greatness in Jewish. Same thing was happening here. They weren't washing their hands to get clean. They were washing their hands because... They may have touched something that was Gentile in the market. They were washing their hands to symbolize washing off the defilement from being around Gentiles and even Jews that didn't follow these, quote, traditions. Now, it doesn't seem like a big deal to us, right, washing your hands or not washing your hands. But what was happening is by them not washing it, they were kind of putting it in the face of the leaders. They knew what they were doing. They're not washing their hands, so they're automatically coming against what the tradition was at that time. These were religious leaders, and as such, they believed they needed to be obeyed and needed to be followed and even revered. And the fact that these guys didn't wash their hands, Jesus gives a parenthesis of what's going on. They would, have, they would have been familiar with the customs. They would have been familiar with the traditions. And so Jesus goes on to explain why. Now, in Mark's gospel, if you remember, 
Mark was writing to Roman Gentiles who would not be familiar with Jewish tradition. So Mark, or Peter as we thought, he puts a parenthesis in to explain why this is such a big deal. In verse 3 and 4 says, parentheses, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient traditions. Notice it doesn't say by Moses' law. Similarly, they eat nothing brought from, bought from the market unless they have immersed their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as the ceremony of washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, these were traditions that were passed down from generation to generation, nothing to do with Mosaic law, nothing to do with what God had written in the Torah. These were things that they kind of put into law themselves, the leaders did. Warren Wiersbe calls this the fence of the law. It was not the law that protect, protected tradition. It was the tradition that protected the law. What do I mean by that? The fence around the law. How many of you are old enough to remember that no dancing? No dancing. Why, why no dancing? Because it might lead to something else, right? And way back when, you couldn't mix bathing. No guys and girls in the same pool. Why? Because it might lead to something. It wasn't, that wasn't sinful in itself, but it, they were protecting you by putting a fence around it and saying, well, we think it's going to lead to that, so we're going to say that's prohibited, the tradition. And what the Jews were doing is they were putting this fence around the law. All these things that protected the law were their traditions, thinking if we put these traditions in place, then they can't even get close to breaking the law. And not only that, we're going to make these traditions as equal to the law. So do you see where we're going with this? It was their thoughts that they put into place because they thought people needed to have those to protect them from breaking the law. So they started out good. But now these things were seen as a sign to everybody else that they were better than somebody else. Look, I'm washing my hands, so I am better than you who aren't washing your hands. So, and they couldn't possibly be clean and undefiled if they happened to be next to a Gentile. Or as Warren Wiersbe says, God forbid they were next to, a, next to a Samaritan. And if they were that way, they had to wash because they were getting that defilement off themselves. So now, we may look at that tradition and say, well, the Pharisees were kind of being ridiculous. The problem is the whole tradition had a wrong attitude towards people. And Jesus had to confront that attitude that they had and what they were making folks do. Now, how many traditions do we have today that Jesus might have to address? Do we put a fence up to protect others from getting close to sinning? Do we have traditions that have no basis in Scripture, but we hold them as valuable as Scripture? Look, traditions are good. They're okay. As long as we don't elevate them to being on par with what the Bible says. Traditions are okay as long as it doesn't violate God's word, add to God's word, or take away from God's word. Or do we use our traditions to keep others away? Do we think that our traditions make us better than somebody else? We have to realize, and I think we all know this, that we're all just sinners saved by God's grace. Right? 
I read a meme the other day that says, if Paul visited the church today, we'd all be getting letters. <laughs> Mark 7, verse 5 says, So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old customs? For they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. So they even say it's not a, a cleanliness thing. It was just a, a tradition that they do. So, of course, they're going to call Jesus out on what his disciples did. Notice they didn't attack, they didn't attack Jesus because he wasn't involved in that. They attacked the disciples for doing it. And they attacked Jesus for what his guys were doing. Why did they do that? Because it's not about the offense. It's about a reason to get Jesus. Why didn't they attack the, the disciples? Hey, disciples, how come you're not doing this? You should know better. You guys are all Jews. You should know this. They didn't, they didn't even confront the guys who were doing it. They confronted Jesus as their leader because they needed a reason to get, get Jesus. How many people, and I thought about this, how many people do we know, or maybe we're that person that says, you know, I'm not going to trust Jesus because that person hurt me. Or I'm not going to really trust Jesus because that church hurt me. Or the preacher didn't say hi to me when I left this morning. Hey, hi. Or he didn't shake my hand, so I'm not going to trust Jesus because he's just rude. I'm not going to trust Jesus because of what his people did. They were attacking Jesus because of what his guys did. I said this in our class a couple weeks ago. Christianity is not Christians. How many know that? Christianity is not church. Christianity is Jesus. And just like the, the Pharisees, when we say things like that or others say things like that, I don't want to do this because this person hurt me or that church hurt me, it's not about the hurt. It's about not wanting Jesus. The Pharisees didn't care about the guys washing their hands. They wanted a reason to go after Jesus. And people who don't want Jesus will come up with excuses of why they don't want him, and they will blame us. Now, we need to be honest and just not use those things as excuses. We can't blame others for our choice, and others can't blame others for their choice. Because on judgment day, none of those things are going to matter. And all those things might be true. That Christian hurt me. That church hurt me. That preacher was a jerk. Guess what? None of that's going to fly on judgment day. Doesn't matter. God's going to say, what did you do with Jesus? Because it's about Jesus. It's not about God's people. Now, that does not let us off the hook, by the way. We're still supposed to live lives that are reflective of what God's done for us. People should see something in us that's attractive. We should not be offensive to people in our ways and our actions. And, as we'll talk about later, we should not have things in our life that we consider tradition that might keep others away. Now, they say that to Jesus, and Jesus kind of snaps back. In verse 6 says, Jesus replied, you hypocrite. 
Isaiah was, Isaiah was prophesying about you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away. Their worship is a farce, for they replace God's command with their own man-made teachings. For you ignore God's specific laws and substitute your own tradition. Now, it's funny, people always classify Jesus as what? Meek and mild. Well, meek is true, but the true meaning of the word is strength under control. Meek means strength and power under control. The word means strength. And there were times when Jesus confronted others and he used that strength under control. And he was basically coming after the Pharisees. Look, you said that. You guys were a bunch of hypocrites. Now, we don't say that amongst ourselves, right? How many have called you a hypocrite? Have you been a hypocrite? Jesus replied, you're a hypocrite. Now, not sure if any of you took uh, Dale Carnegie, Carnegie's class on how to win friends and influence people. I'm guessing that phrase probably wasn't in that book. He was calling them out. Jesus always called out and he always challenged those who were supposed to be in spiritual authority. He wasn't calling out your garden variety sinner. He was calling out the people who were supposed to represent God to the people. Why? Because they're the ones responsible for leading the people. And if they were leading them astray, how many people suffer because of their leadership? I've mentioned this before, the Bible says that teachers and preachers will be held to a higher standard for that very reason. Mark 7, verse 6. You hypocrites, Isaiah was prophesying about you when he said, these people honor me with their lips and their hearts are far away. Their worship is a farce for they, re they replace God's commands with their own man-made teachings. Now the word hypocrite literally means a play actor, actor in a play. They were acting as they were worshiping. They weren't worshiping, they were acting as though they were worshiping. In other words, they're raising their hands, looking around to see who's watching me raise my hands. And you know, Jesus says, you guys like to pray in the corner where everybody sees you. They were play acting. They weren't doing it out of their heart. They were doing it for others to see them. They were pre pretending to worship to look good to other people. Not only do they not worship, but they also made a bunch of rules up that God never intended them to be in place to make themselves look more spiritual. Be like, have I made a bunch of rules up for our church to follow that I just think it, that I think God would want us to have? The Bible doesn't say it. It's just, I think we should play heavy metal music for worship. That's my personal thing. I think anything other than heavy metal music is, is of the devil, and I think we should play that. And you guys were going, hey, by the way, Petra's touring again, 50 years of Petra. They're going to be in Tennessee, they're not going to be up here. And suppose I say, you know what, I think the sanctuary should be at 60 degrees all, every time we're here. And some of you are going, yes. And others are going, no way. I think at 60 degrees, God is able to move a lot better than he moves at 70 degrees. Those are man-made rules that people think allow God to work better. 
and are more spiritual than somebody else. Again, before we jump on the Pharisees, do we have a bunch of rules that we've made up that make us look super spiritual? Verse 8 says, You ignore God's specific laws and substitute your own traditions. Not only did they make a bunch of rules on their own, they got rid of the rules that God actually did require. Now, Pentecostals, we have a freer type of worship than other churches. A little bit more free, less structured. And we have to be careful that we don't do whatever we want to (laughs) because the Bible says that God's a God of order, right? 1 Corinthians 14. Dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. In other words, church is not a free-for-all, right? However, we need to be sure that in our freedom that we don't just chuck God's rules and do whatever we want to do. Replace them with things that we like or things that we want or even things that, that sound good, make us sound super spiritual. Now, it doesn't happen much today, but it used to be how you dressed signified your spirituality. And right now, probably Carl will be the only guy that's spiritual. Because Carl's got a suit on. And it used to be, unless you came to church in your Sunday best, you were like backsliding, right? Now look at, if, how many have seen the Jesus Revolution movie? What was the biggest complaint about the movie, in the movie, about the people in church? Look at the way they're dressed. They're hippies. They don't wear shoes. They're bringing, they're dirtying up the carpet. And the older folks in the church at that time were like upset. Not that they were getting saved, but they were breaking the tradition of look at what they're wearing. Now, I think we've gotten away with that. I'm not worried about that anymore, obviously. Mark 9 says, you reject God's laws in order to hold your own traditions. Jesus repeats them himself and then goes on to give a specific example and he goes to Moses in the law because that's what they respected that was what they were supposed to do right verse 10 it says Jesus says for instance Moses gave you this law from God honor your father and mother and anyone who speaks evil of father and mother must be put to death that's the law but if you say it's all right for people to say to their parents sorry I can't help you for I have vowed to give God what I've good what it could have given to you you let them disregard their needy parents. And as such, you break the law of God in order to protect your own tradition. And this is only one example, and there are many, many others. Now, let's address the first one. Honor your father and mother. Those who speak evil of their father and mother should be put to death. How many know it's not talking about kids? It's not talking about young kids. It's talking about older parents, older adults who have older parents. And that's what Jesus is addressing here. He's saying, look, if you badmouth your parents, you don't take care of them as an adult, then yeah, you need to be stumped because you're disregarding God's law. And he goes on to say, look, what you're doing here is you're taking their money and you're putting it in basically a trust. You're not giving it to the Lord. You're not giving it to the temple. You're putting it in the trust as a legal maneuver 
to rid themselves of money on paper. So you can basically say to your folks, hey, I ain't got no money. Now I have money over there, but it's, it's in a trust. Uh, I kind of give that to God, you can't have that. But the problem is it was never gonna go to God. And the parents had, or the, the kids still had access to the money. So it was basically a, a legal maneuver to not take care of their parents. And Jesus was saying, look, you're breaking the law that says you have to honor your father and mother by doing this, and you're calling that your tradition. One commentary says it this way. A son need only d- declare that what he intended to give his father and mother be considered korban, i.e. a gift devoted to God, and could be no longer designated for his parents. By devoting the gift to God, a son did not necessarily promise it to the temple, nor did it prevent him from use, his use himself. What he did was exclude legally his parents from benefiting from it. So the very purpose for which the commandment was given was set aside by this tradition. And that is what is meant by nullifying the word of God. In effect, what these men have said, they love God, but they got no love for their parents. And what's the Bible say about that? Again, this is talking to believers, 1 Timothy 5.8. Those who don't care for their own relatives, especially those living in the same household, have denied what we believe, and some people are worse than, other, than unbelievers. So the Pharisees were making all these rules up that actually benefited them, calling them tradition, keeping others out while allowing only their own plan in. How many have heard the term click? Like not click, but click in a church. There's a difference between clicks and groups of friends. How many know the difference? A group of friends is when you, anybody wants to be your part of your group can come in. You're new to the church, want to be our friend, come on in the group. A click is where, hey, our four and no more. No more coming in. I, I actually, a guy in church tell me, I like the way our church is now. I don't want any more new people coming in. I went, dude. We have to watch that we're not a click and that we are a group of friends. Now Jesus wants to tell the crowds in public what he's telling the Pharisees personally. 7.14, then Jesus called the crowd to him and, and said, all of you listen. And he said, try to understand that you are not defiled by what you eat. You are defiled by what you say and you do. Now it seems like today that's not a big deal, right? We eat anything. Lobster, the cockroach of the ocean. I'd leave that right there. Other countries, they eat bugs, right? Now, what what this statement was saying was basically that everything, this is how important this was, everything that was in the Mosaic law about eating is now null and void. So that was a big deal because the whole law was based on clean and unclean and what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, what you couldn't touch. All that was based on clean and unclean and Jesus is saying, okay, now all all that's done. You're not defiled by what you eat and I guess you have to touch it to eat it so you're not defiled by touching it. All that's done. And what he's saying is it's what's in your heart that matters, not what's in your stomach. 
And this actually isn't new because Moses said this from the beginning in Deuteronomy 6, 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. So it matters what's in your heart, not what's in your stomach. There's a saying that says, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. What is your heart like? Everything hinges on what your heart attitude is. What did, and they're talking to King David. God looks on the outward, or man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. What is your heart attitude? And the Pharisees' heart attitude, their heart was black. It was dead. He was saying, look, all the things you're doing, you're killing people. You're drawing them away from God because of things you're making up on your own for things that you like. The law was made to be followed because they loved God, not because they had to love God. And just like people have always done, we always want to add our two cents in on what God wants in us. Jesus never elaborates on this statement. He just kind of walks away. He said, okay, here it is, the end of the Mosaic law as you know it, done right now. I'll see you. So I'm guys, these guys are probably freaking out hearing that. But verse 17 says, then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowds and his disciples asked him what he had meant by the statement he made. Now, it's nice to have 20-20 hindsight. We, read, we know what Jesus is gonna say. But for the first time, these guys are asking, what, what did this mean? And to us in the 21st century, it sounds logical, but these guys knew Mosaic law and they knew what Jesus was saying and they were really confused. You know, we've, we've followed the law and the law says things are clean and unclean and, not, and now you're saying that it's not? You need to explain that to us. Now you would think that after spending so much time with Jesus, they would have gotten it. But just like us today, <laughs> How often do we hear God's word and not get it? And you hear it and you hear it and you hear it and you still don't get it. Or you, you read it and you understand it, but you just don't like it. You may read a passage today and get a totally, totally get the meaning. And you may read the passage next week and not get it or vice versa. The point is, as you mature in your life in the Lord, we should be able to more understand biblical things and apply them to our lives. We need to be maturing as believers. And Jesus, Jesus kind of rebukes them on this statement. They're not maturing fast enough. Verse 18 says, don't you understand either? He said, can't you see what, that what you eat won't defile you? Food doesn't come in contact with your heart but only passes through the stomach and then comes out again. By showing this, or by saying this, he showed that every kind of food is acceptable. Again, a blow to everything they've ever learned. And then he added, it's the thought life that defiles you. From, for from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, eagerness for lustful pleasure, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. Those are what defile you and make you unacceptable to God, not what you eat. Now, I understand these guys, I think, because it's very hard to dump everything you've been taught all your life and automatically change the way you think. Even if you know it's wrong at that point. 
Now, when I first went to an AG church, I had been Catholic, but not practicing. But I, I was an altar boy, so I knew what was going on in the service. And the first time I went to an AG church, I was freaking out, for one, because nothing happened in this church that, was, that I was used to in the other church. And I was waiting for them to do what I had always learned and taught, been taught to do, even though I didn't go. I went to, I went to my mom's funeral, and I had, been, I had been out of Catholic church for 25 years, and I knew exactly where everything was going to happen in the service. I knew when the priest was going to move. I knew when the altar boy was going to move. I knew when the bell was going to ring. I knew everything. And I hadn't been in church and, well, since an altar boy for 35 years, but I remembered everything. And it's hard to dump everything you've learned over the years and have been taught, and now all of a sudden God says, it's all different. And so it's, it's difficult for people who are not used to church getting over what they've been taught. Our job is to show them in the Bible not so much what they've been wrong, but what God says about something and why we believe what we believe, which tells us or encourages us to understand why you believe it. So you're able to explain it to somebody else who does not understand the way you do. Even when Peter started preaching, it appears that he didn't change his diet. He kept on following the Jewish diet even after he got saved, even after he's preaching. Acts 10, verse 13 says, Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Never, Lord, Peter declared, I have never in all my life eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. So even after Jesus ascended, even after he's preaching to thousands, all this previous training stuck with him. He was still eating the Jewish dietary laws. Even after you get saved or you become a believer, things that you're taught don't automatically go away. And that's why you have to study for yourself to know that what we, that we teach here, what you're believing, is biblical. We have to study, the Bible says, show yourselves approved unto God. A worker does not need to be ashamed, but rightly divides a word of truth. Now that's written to preachers, but that applies to everybody. Because those things just don't go away. Now today we have God's word, the New Testament, but back then they didn't. They operate on what basically Jesus spoke verbally to them. They didn't have any Bible to open up. They had the Old Testament, but that was it. We can open up the Bible and see what God says today about a subject. They basically just had to ask. Jesus, we don't, nothing we can read. You need to explain this to us. Now, Jesus thought they would have caught on by now, but it's hard to change tradition. And Paul had this problem with the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to mature Christians. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world, as though you were mere infants in, in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk and not with solid food because you couldn't handle anything stronger. And still you aren't ready, for you are controlled by your own sinful desires. Jesus expected the disciples and he expects us to grow and mature in our faith. We can't be the same as we were last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And Jesus is basically coming at their traditions. Traditions aren't bad. They're okay. We have to be sure that our traditions aren't placed on par with or above what God's word says. In other words, our pet feelings and what we like 
are not the same as God's word. How many can say amen? Now, for years, what was the only Bible translation available? King James, right? Now, it's probably what a lot of you memorized. And if I've memorized something, it's usually in the King James because it seems more flowery, you know. I don't own a King James Bible. Now, how many have seen the meme that says, hey, if King James was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Now you see, you know the history, King James didn't come out until 1611, so basically 1600 years after Jesus. So, King James is not God's only authorized version, right? Now there are versions you need to be aware of and be, you know, avoid, but King James is not God's only version. And sometimes we can get to that point where, you know, it's only King James. That's a tradition. Or, can I step on your toes for a minute? Hymns are the only holy songs that God will accept. We should only sing those because that's what God would want. Any of the other ones outside there are heresy. Or vice versa. I'm not singing those hymns anymore. They're heresy. We're just singing the new stuff. How about which one's right? Neither one's right. How about Sunday night services? Pastor, you remember the Sunday night services? If you were really spiritual, you went Sunday night. I heard what I hear. If you go Sunday morning, you love the people. If you go Sunday night, you love the church. If you go Wednesday night, you love the Lord. <laughs> if you were really spiritual, you would go to a Sunday night service. If you didn't go Sunday night, then whoa, you're just one step away from backsliding. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It doesn't say, don't forsake Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now, coming from me, I want you to be here every service. But the Bible doesn't say that. And if we demand it and we say we assess someone's spirituality because of when they attend, tradition. And the list could go on. But our traditions can also not contradict God's word. For those of you who remember back when, how many, quote, churches used God's word to approve of slavery and deny civil rights. Now, how many know the true churches were the ones that marched with king? The ones that were church in name only were the ones that used scripture to kind of deny civil rights to people. And finally, do the traditions that we have keep anybody from knowing God? I had a book in my office I can't find it anymore. It's called The Seven Last Words of a Dying Church. How many have heard of that book? You know what the seven words are? We've never done it that way before. In other words, if you're not willing to do what it takes to reach a new generation, in other words, methods, not message, because we love the way we've always done it. And the way we've always done it is God's only way to do it. 
then what we're letting, doing is letting our traditions keep others from knowing Christ. And I know all of us are on board with reaching people. That's why you're here. It's not easy to give up things that we're comfortable with, things we've always done. But I think we're all willing to let God work in ways that may be different than what we're used to. I, I said this earlier in our class. The music that you grew up, the music that was popular when, it was, when you were being influenced by music is the only music that you really like. Growing up in the 60s and 70s, my music. I got saved in the 80s, so at that time it was the first generation of integrity music. I liked all the old stuff, the old integrity music. And if we're not careful, that'll be the only thing that we want to listen to and want to do. Now, when I'm in the car, I'll play what I want to watch, listen to. But when we in church, we will do what we need to do to reach people. And that means different types, different styles of music, different atmospheres in the church, different things that we do. So we don't want our pet preferences to drive people away. And it's easy to stay and do what you've always done. My, uh, my mom's parents, they, this is back when color TVs were kind of brand new. And they bought a color TV. It was a tube set, but they bought a color TV. And they lived across the street from us. And every once in a while, we would ask if we can go over and watch their color TV. The problem was, the TV, this is when cable first came out too. It's like, you know, just better reception, but not any more channels. And they hooked cable up to this TV. It was a 25-inch console in their living room that they never, ever watched because they watched their black and white TV in their bedroom because it was just comfortable. And they had this beautiful set sitting there, and we would get all of our you know, snacks and stuff, and we'd go over and watch color TV. It was such a big deal for us. And what happened was, after we would quit watching it, they would unplug it. What happens when you unplug a TV set for years? It quits working. Don't know why, but it just stops working. Because they were not comfortable leaving their bedroom to watch TV, they lost this great, this great marvel at the time because they didn't want to give up what was familiar. When they could have experienced something that was awesome for them. If we're not willing to give up things that we're comfortable with, we may miss out on what God wants to do. Now, we got VBS coming. Now, VBS is going to be loud. It's going to be raucous. It's going to be a good time. And we're going to see things that our grandparents might have a collective heart attack if they saw. Because it's just way out there because we're not reaching adults. We're reaching kids. So we will adapt what we do. The message is the same, but we will adapt what we do in this church to reach that generation. And the teenagers, the teenager, we will do and we will reach the teenagers by doing whatever it is they do. What's Paul say? I become all things to all people in order that I might save some. We can't let what we are comfortable with, what we're familiar with, 
our traditions stop us from being able to do something that we're not comfortable with, that it's not sinful, but it's maybe breaking what we're always used to. And God is able to do that through us if we're willing to step out, man. Just do something that's different. Would you stand as we close this morning? Bow your heads for a moment. Close your eyes. I never want to assume that everybody who comes to church is a believer. You may have been in this church for years and you're just a good guy or a good girl and everybody thinks you're a Christian, but you know you're not. You try to do it right, but you know that you've never really come to Christ. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. You wouldn't call yourself a, quote, born-again person. But if you're in church and you're hearing what God's word says, the Bible says that God's word does not return void. It will accomplish its purpose in your life. And if you're here, it's because God ordained you to be here. Now, you may have thought that you just woke up yourself and brought yourself, and that's true, you did. But why did you think about coming? Because God put that thought in your mind. The Bible says no one comes to God unless the Father draws him. So if, if you're here, God's drawing you. If you're thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about him. He does all that because he wants a relationship with you. Now, being a part of a church family, you can attend this church and not know Christ and be a part of the family of this church. But until you come to Christ, you're not a part of the family of God. The Bible says, to all who receive him, those he gave the authority to become children of God. If you haven't received Christ, then you're not really in part of God's family. And it's not that God wants to exclude you. It's that God's given you every opportunity to make the choice. He's not going to make it for you. He wants you to see his goodness. He wants you to see his love for you. And he wants you to choose for yourself. And that's what's happening this morning. God wants you to see who he is in person. We've heard from God this morning that he loves you more than we can ever think about loving you. And that God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose and plan for your life regardless of where you are right now. He sees where you are, but more importantly, he sees where you can be. So if you're here this morning, you've never really committed your life to Christ. You've never come to Jesus and said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I know there's nothing good in me. I'm not going to make it to heaven on my own. I have no relationship with my Father in heaven. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me. That you paid the debt that I should have paid. All that suffering that you suffered, that should have been me. And I know your word says, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, then I'll be saved. So if that's you, the Bible says you have to believe in your heart. Do you? It says confess with your mouth. That just means tell somebody else. So what I'm going to ask you this morning is simple. If you've never done that, but you would like to do that. Again, God's given you opportunities, opened the door for you. It's your choice whether to walk through or not. If that's you and you want that relationship, you want to kind of understand what it is we're all talking about. And trust me, when you do that, the light bulb will go on in your head and you'll get it. 
But if that's you, I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you and lead you into the presence of God. All right, maybe you're here this morning and you want to be able to be used by God to reach other people. And every one of us, me included, we have things in our life that we've always done. But maybe God wants us to change that up a little bit. Do something that's uncomfortable for you. Not sinful, but uncomfortable. Push you out of your comfort zone to do things that God knows you're capable of doing. But you don't think you are. I think God wants to rectify that this morning. So Father, we do stand before you and we thank you for what you're doing in our lives personally, what you're doing in our church as a whole, and what you're going to do this week in VBS. And Father, as we sang this morning, if I'm not dead, then you're not done. So Lord, we know there's more work for us to do, there's more things that we can accomplish, and there's more ways that we can be a blessing to someone else as well as a blessing to you. So I pray for each person here that you would allow us to realize in our own minds, Lord, what you're calling us to do, what you've given us the potential to do, and what great things you can accomplish through us if we're just willing to step out a little bit and do things that we may have never done before. And when we do that, we will see you meeting us at that point. As we prayed and trusted for funds for the women's ministry, you provided. And that's just money. Imagine what you could do with us if we're willing to reach out and touch people's lives with the gospel of Christ. Because your word says you want all to be saved, you want none to perish, all to come to repentance. So Father, I pray that you would put us in situations that may be a bit uncomfortable, but also give us the ability to speak out how you want us to speak out. And we will stand back and watch the Holy Spirit work through us in ways we never thought would happen. So Father, I commit each person here to you. Fill them, anoint them, use them for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. VBS, see you tonight. For those of you who are working, you're welcome to come and hang out in the back if you don't mind smoke and lights and loud things and awesome times.